welcome to Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up of the political stories that we've been doing this week. We're coming to you from the legendary TVNZ Beehive studio. I'm Jessica Much. And I'm Benedict Collins. So we've had quite a busy week this week. Lots of news stories and getting used to Winston Peters being in charge. The big one probably this week was around um, immigration and having to tweak the rules. So let's have a look at that story first. A busy day at the office for these Wellington builders. In five weeks, this will be 34 new apartments. These are a bit more than finishing touches, um, as you can see. It's taken a year to complete, but the construction company hopes the next project will be quicker and cheaper now that the government's simplifying the hiring of foreign construction workers. It's good to see that they've seen the light, that they know they need more people to, uh, to help with that construction boom. A move that's hoped will help the whole sector struggling to keep up. We always believe in hiring New Zealanders first, but, but the issue is we can't find them. Employers will have to be accredited and workers skilled to protect build quality. It's really important that we don't have a repeat of the leaky building syndrome. I think it's important that the people we bring into this industry uh, from overseas carry a skill, carry a trade qualification or a skill. I think just bringing in people to, to be uh, broom hands or, or the like it won't cut it. During the election campaign, Labour promised a one-for-one one deal train a New Zealander for every foreign worker hired. Now that's been ditched and a plan to reduce immigration numbers by up to 30,000 has been watered down too. Amongst the people who come to New Zealand, uh, we need to make sure that we are getting the right range of skills. This is rank hypocrisy by the government. You know, for pure politics prior to the election, they were going to slash immigration. Immigrants were all the problem. It's an example of Labour talking tough during the election campaign and having to tone it down once it's in power. Add into the mix the pressure to deliver on Kiwi-built houses and something had to give. The government promises it's just plugging the gaps for now. It has to be short term. If we don't fix our training, education and apprenticeship system properly, we're just deferring this problem to another day and just pushing it out. Trying to ride out the boom time for the construction industry. So it seems like it's another example of the government having to tone things down once it gets into power, it thought, no, no, we want to turn the tap down on immigration and nationals standing there screaming, no, no, you're going to need it for construction and, and they're saying, no, no, we'll come up with it coming into power. They need to make amendments again. That's right, and it's, we've seen numerous examples of this in the last couple of weeks. We've had the um, the ban on foreign buyers where the government had to turn around and say, oh, oh, actually, we do need people coming in you know, to buy the apartments and help get those off off the ground, those apartment blocks. So they've had to change the rules there. They've now changed the rules around Kiwi Build in, in, in several different ways. So I think, you know, they're really coming to grips with the reality of being in power rather than, you know, that kind of uh, being in opposition. Also, being in opposition where you're sort of cut off from the experts and you're cut off from the public service to a degree. So you're not getting that top quality advice. You're, yeah. you're sort of going in a bit blind. Yeah, and I guess even the the thing behind it, you have people who can give you advice on this and advice on this, and as a minister, you then make the decision. But in opposition, I guess, especially for nine years, you're not getting that as much. And perhaps things that seem more simple from the opposition benches perhaps aren't when you get into power. And it's those are some quite big election promises that that the government or that Labour <coughs> made during the election campaign that they have had to tweak and change now. And I guess our job 
as journalists is to keep across all of those and keep holding them to account on those and, and pointing out where it's not what they promised. Well, I mean, they were some of their key things, weren't they? You know, the ban on foreign buyers, the, the Kiwi build, you know, the one for one. You know, a lot of their key planks now, they're having to come back and say, oops, oops, we've got to adjust that, right? Yeah, and, and to use that one for one as, as an example, yeah. during the election campaign, they said, look, well, if you want to bring in a foreign construction worker to help with Kiwi build or whatever, you have to train up a New Zealander first. Now, that works because we're crying out for trained people in New Zealand and it also gets the training and everything like that going mm. as well. They've now had to say, okay, look, we can't get enough New Zealanders through the training system. There's simply such a shortfall there yeah. that, that this isn't realistic So any they're longer. saying, yeah, we'd yeah. love you to train, but yeah. you also can bring in as many as you want. And I just think that's an example of, of not really knowing the problems they were starting to deal with. But mm. it's not necessarily a new problem. We dealt with it in Christchurch as well. So have a look back at this feature. Not quite as much of a, a historical track as we usually go, but history nonetheless. There's no denying it's a big job. We've got hundreds of thousands of houses to fix. We have a CBD that needs entirely rebuilding. The earthquakes have forever altered the physical face of the city. Now the rebuild will change the faces of those who live here. The demand for labour is going to be huge and the local uh, supply is not going to be adequate to meet that demand. Predictions vary wildly, but it's expected that around 23,000 extra construction-related workers will be needed. Some of those will come through training programs over the next few years, but in the short term, recruiters like Matt Jones are looking overseas. A lot of people have left Christchurch. Um, a lot of people don't want to come to Christchurch from within New Zealand. He's spent almost four of the past 12 months in the UK and Ireland, getting more than 100 workers on board. OK, we'll put a tree of them up there. Gary McEntee says the boom here is similar to that he experienced in Ireland, where he'd owned his own company. Ireland had a, what was known as the Celtic Tiger. I employed people from, uh, from New Zealand, people from Australia, uh, people from China, Lithuania, Poland and Russia. So Ireland couldn't have done the Celtic Tiger without having workers from abroad. And another big story that we're dealing with this week, of course, is the latest on the nurses' strikes. They were in uh, last-minute facilitation talks. Check out this story. At Wellington Hospital today, people were backing the nurses. They really deserve a pay rise. The job they do is incredible. I feel they're not getting paid enough, then I sort of agree with them because they're doing a fantastic job. Probably deserve more money than they are getting. Nurses are due to go on strike next Thursday for 24 hours after knocking back a half a billion dollar offer. And they're threatening to do the same again the week after. Surgeries a week out from the first strike are being cancelled and because of the second strike a week later it could be a fortnight worth of very complex elective surgeries that are not going to be done anywhere in New Zealand. There will be some disruption, uh, the DHBs are working hard to minimise that. The government is hoping last minute talks could see the strikes called off. Nurses and health boards began emergency two day negotiations today to try to resolve the impasse. While it's not clear yet exactly how many operations will have to be postponed, what is clear is there will be enormous disruption. One expert says the government raised expectations during the election campaign with funding promises for the public sector. That raised the employees' expectations in the public sector. Uh, you know, when you hear there's going to be more funding put into the sector, you expect that some of that funding will go to pay. And he doubts nurses' negotiations will succeed. By the time a dispute gets to facilitation, 
It has to have been a prolonged dispute. Uh, they have to have been in bargaining. That is, the parties have to have met with each other on a number of occasions, and they haven't been able to resolve all the issues. So as a result, uh, it's not likely that facilitation in any instance is likely going to resolve things. The nurses aren't alone. Public servants at the tax department and business ministry are also now planning strikes. Yeah, so I guess two days of facilitation talks now underway. Uh, the experts we were talking to, they say, you know, they've been at loggerheads for so long, the health boards and, and the nurses, they really don't think, you know, they're not putting much weight into there being a resolution there. So it looks like <clears throat> next week, next Thursday, 27,000 nurses maybe coming off the you know, off the job, it's going to cause enormous disruption in the health sector. We're talking about several weeks of, you know, elective surgeries being cancelled. And that's because it's not just that 24 hours that's affected. It's, you know, the patients who would have had surgery, who would have been in hospital next Thursday and, and also the, the Thursday after, you know, people who need days to recover, all those surgeries are going to be cancelled there. You were speaking to people outside the hospital yesterday. What was the general sentiment and the general feeling you got for those? I mean, obviously you can't show all of the reaction in the story, but what was the feeling you got on the ground? Well, it was really interesting, actually, because one of the um, women I spoke with, her daughter was in, in, in intensive care, and she was saying, you know, the nurses have just been so wonderful, they're caring for us, they're just absolute professionals. Give them what they need. Give them what they deserve. Um, and it was also interesting, in, in the chat I had with an expert, um, Stephen Blumenfield, yesterday at Victoria University, he was saying, hey, the nurses have been squeezed for so long. He just doesn't think you know, that they can reach that agreement there. Um, other people outside the hospital... You know, they were often patients there, and just all of them just thought, you know, nurses were wonderful, they were there for you when you were sick. Um, so you know, they've clearly got the public support. Yeah, that's that's interesting, because I guess that's what we haven't been sure of. It's not like mm. you can go out and ask everyone. But whether the nurses asking for that big chunk of cash, more than the government's putting forward, whether they are bringing the public with them, and by the sounds of what the people that you talked to yesterday they are. So maybe they can push this further. Maybe they can shake off that perception that oh, they look, they're being a bit greedy. Yeah. Hey, but on the other hand, when you're doing these, you know, these voxies, these interviews with the public right outside the hospital doors, yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> you're probably do, getting a bit yeah, of a, you maybe know, a little uh, bit skewed. Your sample, yeah, <laughs> might be a bit skewed indeed. Yeah, mm. but it, it is interesting, and I guess it's the general feeling, and that's all you can ever yeah. do with these things, yeah. is that is that people feel like nurses need to be appreciated. Yeah. Hey, and of course we've got other strikes coming up as well now. Um, it looks like uh, the union's discussions with MB, that's the business ministry, and the IRD, the tax officials, they've uh, gone nowhere. So they're also planning strikes now. Um, two hours, I think, on the 9th, a two-hour strike on the 9th, about 4,000 workers, and again on the 23rd, um, they're planning on striking again for a couple of hours. So that's not going to have the huge disruption that we'll get in the health sector with the nurses, but, you know, it is pretty clear. A lot of public servants saying, hey, it's time for us to get our share. And while we're doing these stories here, Katie Bradford is over in Singapore at the moment, and she's at a, a fellowship with the East West Centre um, and travelling there and learning all about lots of very interesting things. And one of them is on fake news, so have a listen to this. I'm in Singapore at the moment at the East West Centre What Is News Now conference. It has been a fascinating week looking at the future of news and a lot of the talk has been about disinformation or you've got it, fake news. Uh, it's been really interesting hearing the 
perspectives of people from around the world, uh, from America to various Asian nations, about how they are fighting fake news uh, and, and what we can do, I guess, to try and fight back as media and as citizens against it. Of course, when you see Donald Trump treat to, tweet to millions of people a day, uh, saying, accusing the media of lying, it's very hard for the media to fight back against that. And it's been really interesting uh, hearing from some of the American journalists about um, what they are facing and in other countries such as India, Cambodia, China, uh, they've got some massive challenges there. What's the solution? Well that's obviously a very hard one. As journalists uh, we work very hard to be accurate and fair as we all know and, and uh, I, one of the uh, solutions some people seem to be talking about is about education, about better civics education, about better uh, education about how the media works and if people, I guess people just being better informed. I'm here as a Jefferson Fellow uh, and I've been in Hawaii for a week where I had a really interesting lunch where I met with some Republican rep state representatives who are also Trump supporters and it was a really good opportunity to question them about how they see things working, about for instance about trade tariffs, whether they think New Zealand Zealand will be exempt from that in the end. Their view as it is that this is Donald Trump talking tough for now uh, and when it comes down to it, when he sits down to make that deal, he'll change his mind and relax for countries like New Zealand. While Katie is off travelling to all of these exotic places, we're, we're very happy here. We've got our um, mm. lolly jar here, so, you know, not jealous at all, Katie, um, actually. She's off to the Philippines next. But it does bring up this interesting issue of fake news and it's it's a new term but one I think particularly in the media world we hear a lot bandied about. Yeah one we've seen sort of really come along with the rise of of Donald Trump um, mm. and you know just his constant baiting of the media you see it at every sort of you know speech or he goes you know he's he's laying into the fake news media um, I think was it a week or so ago we saw um, the really controversial jacket Melania Trump wore when she went down to the um, to see to the immigration centre where the children have been separated from their um, uh, parents and her jacket was saying, I really don't care, do you? And, and Donald Trump was saying, oh, you know, that was all aimed at the fake news media, not at, not at the children. I had also heard that it was her anti-bullying um, campaign and that was the slogan on the back of that. Regardless, very poorly advised jacket to wear um, when you're going to that particular and Apparently event. it was stinking hot too and you didn't really need to be wearing a jacket. <laughs> yeah, mm. but I mean, I guess fake news for us, um, you know, you'll on Twitter you see it bandied about, politicians bandy it about a lot more. And it's really something that um, was brought up and it's one of Donald the Donald Trumpisms, if you like. Um, so it is, it's a really interesting um, phenomena. Um, we, of course, never dabble in fake news at One News, of course, but um, it is something that you hear a lot of. Um, the other thing that's been happening back here, back home, um, this family's package. Big raft of things that are coming in for people on the 1st of July, which is on Sunday. So let's look at your story yeah. for that. The cold weather is really starting to bite. The cold this year is shocking. Absolutely shocking. Next month, nearly a million pensioners and beneficiaries will receive the winter energy payments. In Manurewa, pensioners say it can't come soon enough. This government is, you know, stepping up and actually doing something about it, which is refreshing. Every bit of assistance would be gratefully received. 
The winter energy payment is a key part of the government's $5 billion families package. We all know that the costs of our power bills in winter go up and we also know that you know a cold, damp house can lead to very serious illnesses and in some cases deaths. From next winter, an eligible single person will receive $450 to help heat their home. For a couple or those with dependent children, that figure will be $700. But this year, because the payments are starting mid-winter, people will only receive about half that amount. National says the payment is getting dished out, irrespective of need, and there's a smarter way to do things. We can all understand there'll be people in New Zealand who need help with their heating, and you know, so I don't think it'd be a case of getting away from entirely, but certainly changing, because what's true is there'll be millionaires receiving this money they, that don't necessarily need it. There is an opt-out clause, so if, if people who are getting New Zealand superannuation don't feel that they need this payment, they can opt out from getting it. Good luck. With that. Next year, the winter energy payment will begin in May. This is one of the big promises that Labour talked about a lot, and it's for the middle and low income families a whole raft of things that yeah. they will be getting. Do you want to go through yeah. some of those? So, in addition to the um, winter energy payments that we're talking about there, we've also got the um, the Best Start payment kicking off on Sunday. So that's for, for newborns, $60. Um, $60 a week they'll be getting there, you know, to help with those those costs of raising kids. We're also going to see changes um, to the working for families tax settings as well. Um, yeah, so, so a whole range of new um systems coming in here on the first. One of the things that I noticed is talking about the fuel tax, which was another story that came out um, this week. Mm. That's going to be kicking in in September. And it's about sort of between a couple of bucks and six bucks by 2020 for the average family driving the average car. Now, National has come out with the argument, oh, you know, that's going to hit people, um, especially those very low-income families. And it, and it is, they're right. But the government can very easily come back and say, yep, but you're getting far more than that in this family's package. And in terms of the timing of it, um, with a lot of things kicking in this weekend, and also just with the overall argument, it does mean that it takes away that slap that Nationals got over the fuel tax because families are going to be better off as a whole. Well, I guess some will, and I, and I guess it probably... Depends. Well, it depends how much it you depends, drive, I guess. Yeah, it yeah. depends how much you drive, depends yeah. where you sit, depends if you've got kids, um, depends whether you are a beneficiary or a superannuitant who's going to get a lot of the, you know, a help from the, the family's package coming in. But with the political argument, mm. you know what I mean? Like it seems yeah. less like you're just leaving them out, hanging them out to dry, so yeah. to speak. So I just think it's, it'll be interesting to see... I think a lot of people don't actually know these changes are coming in this week. And we've done a few stories on it um, this week to kind of make people aware so that they know what to expect. But it'll be interesting to see how people react. And it might be an interesting thing to ask in our next poll what how people feel once they've got them, if they feel better off, if they feel like they need it. Or whether they're doing things tougher. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. it'll be really interesting. Um, the other thing we've been grappling this, with this week as well, um, Winston Peters is our acting Prime Minister. How do you think he's been getting on? From what I've seen, no, I think he's, you know, he hasn't been too cantankerous or, uh, you know, offensive <laughs> or anything like that. I think, mm. I think he's been, you know, tr- trying to do things, you know, in a prime ministerial manner. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? I, I think that he's been 
the statesman version of himself. Yeah. I think um, we covered him during the um, latest election campaign, and I think you perhaps some days we saw um, a slightly more lively side to um, our acting prime minister. But you can see that he's really trying to um, make sure that he's prime ministerial. He's always going to be cheeky, and that that still comes out in question time and things like that. But I think he is trying to be really fair and balanced with us and and just remind us that, you know, he's the foreign minister and, and he in in that side. The debating chamber he's been really slick as well. It's been really funny watching that. Yeah. I often found um <clears throat> we'd get we'd get, you know, the, the most outraged Winston Peters when we we're asking him about the polls during yeah. the election campaign. Yeah. But I guess it's also a bit different, you know, in that prime ministerial role because you're talking about the big issues of the day, you know, or, or, or or big government policy, yeah, true. rather than you know honing in perhaps you know on more on his party or on his his leadership that sort of thing. Yeah, and I mean, there's no doubt that um, he deflects. He's one of the best um, deflectors and defenders in politics. He can mm. ask answer a question in the debating chamber without saying much at all. But it has been really from an entertainment, geeky political point of view, it's been really fun watching him. And I think most days the opposition are having fun with him as well. So yeah. And we've still got a few more weeks. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, and he might evolve a bit. Also <laughs> really interesting, he's in the House Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as well, yeah. which is unusual. Usually on a Thursday the Prime Minister will go out into the regions, but he's um, staying on in all three days. He says he always does that. But it means that we get three days a week of Winston Peters, which has been fun. So that's it for us today. It's been great to have you with us on Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up of the political stories that we've been covering here in the gallery on One News. It's available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook page and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. For those very observant, you will have noticed that it is, an, it is in fact Friday. Um, for a few, we were a little bit snowed under this week with lots of stories and a bit of illness. So Every now and then we do do it on a on a Friday, and we're sorry for that. But just worth noting as well, this is the fortieth podcast, so um, it's been it's been fun doing it. Um, I've done a few now, and you've done a couple now yep. as well. So um, yeah, a little little milestone for us here in the studio. So thanks very much for being with us, and we'll see you guys next time. Cheers, guys. Yeah.